So the book of Matthew, chapter 22, starting in verse 23. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, because the Pharisees, if you read the chapter, had just come to try to trap him and some stuff, and they failed. So the same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. His brother married the widow and the second brother died and the third brother married her and this continued with all seven of them. And last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be at the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. So they think they've got him now. They think that they're they're showing the absurdity of believing that one day you'll rise from the dead. Verse 29, Jesus replied, actually, how does your your translation render this? (laughs) You're wrong. You've got a problem. You are in error. You're wrong. Yeah, I just love Jesus. Uh, He looks them in the face and says, you're wrong. And then he tells them why they're wrong. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. First off, they would disagree about the idea that they don't know the scriptures. They would say, what are you talking about? We study the scriptures daily, constantly. We memorize them. We read them. We reflect on them. We meditate on them. This is what we've given our lives to. What are you talking about? We don't know the scriptures. Your mistake is you don't know the scriptures. I'm going to call that the book of God for this little talk. And you don't know the power of God. You don't know the God of, you don't know the book of God and you don't know the God of the book. And then he answers their question. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And then my wife actually cries because of this verse. She will, this has happened, what, six times in our marriage where she has come to me, reminded me of this passage, taken me in her arms, and wept. I just want to be married to you forever. And I just kind of roll my eyes and say the same thing every time. Woman, marriage isn't going to be done away with because something worse is going to be given in its place, but rather something better. Chill. You're crying over something that's going to be, it's an up, it's going to be an upgrade. You can't cry over heaven. And she's like, it's not right. It's not. Okay. It's, yeah, I like, I'm, I'm glad she feels that way. I, I appreciate that. Well, I... <laughs> she, she has said that my responses are helpful, okay? So I guess I'm not rolling my eyes that visibly. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Apparently, angels are genderless. That's an interesting idea. Will I be genderless? I don't get it, Lord. 
My manhood feels core to my identity. Doesn't your womanhood feel core to your identity? It just, come on. So I don't understand entirely what Jesus is talking about. I'll be honest with you. But I trust him, okay? But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was. The fact that he put it in the present tense is what Jesus is pointing out. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, yeah. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. So he's reading, he's reading the scripture very, very carefully. Isn't that interesting? It's like, you guys missed that? How'd you miss that? I'm going, I didn't see it. What are you talking about? And when the crowds heard them, they were astounded at his teaching. Your mistake, says Jesus, is that you don't know the book of God and you don't know the God of the book. Apparently, apparently, some people don't know the Bible. And that's their problem. You'll find whole groups of people in the church that their problem is they don't know the Bible. And then you'll find people and their problem is they know the Bible, but they don't have a living, vibrant, powerful relationship with the God of the Bible. It's possible to be full of doctrine and miss the intimacy with God, but it's also, did I just say, what, did, I, what, did I just get so far ahead of myself that I said it wrong? I lot? I probably did. It's possible to know your Bible super, super, super well, but not know the God of the book. And it's possible, guys, it's actually possible to be so, so intoxicated with the experiences of the God of the Bible that you are unchained from the truth and you're like a ship with no rudder and with no map and with no compass and wherever the wind of feeling and emotion and encounter takes you, you are just led onto the rocks. It is possible. There's denominations that are all about doctrine. They are all about Bible. They are all about teaching. They have exegetical preaching and teaching and they have inductive Bible studies and they know their stuff. They take you to a cate catechesis class. And by the time you're done, you know exactly what isn't, is true and what isn't true. You know which denominations have the truth and which denominations don't have the truth. You know, you know who's a heretic and you know who's not. But when's the last time you were weeping with the beauty of God? When's the last time you actually were so deep enraptured in the, in the brilliance and the ah, of free grace that your heart just could not contain, could not, could not, that the songs could not express it enough, that the bowing wasn't low enough, that the, that the shouting in worship wasn't loud enough to match the God of the book. That, do you see what I'm saying? If, it's possible to have just the book of God and dry up. And then there's other denominations. Everything's about experience, guys. Everything's about encounter. Everything's about knowing. Everything's about feeling. Everything's about the mountaintop. Everything's about the power of the Spirit. Everything's about what did he say lately. Everything's about what did you feel. Everything's about was that a good worship service. And you're chasing a high. And you've actually replaced following God 
with feeling God. It's possible to be so into the, the feeling of God, the encounter with God. Notice how these people over here that are just book, they're filled with pride towards these other people over here. Oh, my word. These people are just experience-driven. We have the truth. These people have intellectual snobbery. But you know what these people have? They have spiritual snobbery. They're both huffed up in pride. And they hate each other. They despise each other. And each group has what the other one needs. And, but they don't like each other. And by they, I mean us. We, because we're somewhere in here. I doubt we are as far up in the book as we're called, and I doubt we're as far up in the God of the book as we're called. But there's, there could... This one, if you're not careful, you blow up. Oh, the Holy Spirit told me this, this, and this, and it ain't in the book. Holy Spirit led me to do this, this, and this. No, he didn't. It violates the ethics of Jesus. Why do you not read your Bible? Or I had a friend come to me and say, I thought after we got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was going to be autopilot. I thought we were, going to, we were struggling over here with all we had was dry doctrine. We were struggling and it was do, you, do your duty and do what we're told and learn the right things and study your Bible. But then we encountered the Holy Spirit. I thought from then on it was going to be like, ah, and everyone would get healed and we wouldn't even lust anymore. We wouldn't be struggling with anger anymore. It would just be amazing. And it didn't go that way. And it blew up and it burnt out. Now that person's learning, he's got to actually get his little butt into the book every day. He's got to learn wisdom. He's got to study to show himself to prove. He's got to actually ingest the word of God and walk out the thing he saw on the mountaintop with God. That it's okay. It's okay to not feel it as deeply right now as you felt it that one time. The issue is, are you walking with the God who revealed himself on the mountain? Are you obeying? Are you walking? Are you... So to have both of these... You have to have the God of the book and the book of God, both of these, together if you want to grow up. If all we have is the book of God, we will dry up. We will, we will continue to host services. We will continue to have prayer meetings, but it will be talk only. We'll talk about how great it used to be. And we'll talk about people who actually knew the God of the book, but we won't know him. And if all we have is... The, the experiences of the God of the book, but with no knowledge and depth in the book of God. We are in serious danger of elevating our personal opinion and feelings to the level of Scripture, screwing up our lives, and, and hurting a whole lot of people that will, will we're in danger of blowing up. But what if there was a way, and I know there's a way because Jesus said this so plainly, you are an error because you know neither these nor this. you got to have both of the... There's a way to combine deep knowledge, deep doctrine, deep Bible study, profound commitment to truth, to doctrine, to right belief, and right experience, right faith. Like the doctrine would be like, he loves everyone, but this would be, I receive your love, Father. I receive your love. There's a big difference, isn't there, between... Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. This is doctrinally correct. He cleansed me of my sin. Right? 
this is objective truth right here. Objective truth. This is truth subjectively received and walked in. Both. Both. I'm actually sweating. The truth of God, the power of God, which is more important? Stupid question. We need both. Right? This is similar to the question, I, you know, like the one time when I was noticing there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, nine fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, and nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, sorry. Which is more important, the fruit or the gifts? And I go, dude, if you held a gun to my head, I would say fruit. But why would you do that? Why would you want to cut off one wing of a bird and then expect it to fly? Do you see what I'm saying? And I, I hate the word balance because I think often it's too self-conscious. Obey me. My C's look like G's. But this is a balance issue, isn't it? Truth-based experience. What the, how about this? We could, call it, we could say this is truth, power. We could say this is Learning? Maybe we could say this is doing? Bible encounter? Maybe, maybe one way to put it is this is about head and this is about heart? Is that a good way to put it? It's like, which one of those is more important? Well, obviously heart is essential, but how are you going to get your heart to love something your head has absolutely zero comprehension of? Your head is extremely helpful. Like, have you ever had something in the, in, the, in the gospel open up to your head in such a way that for the first time ever your heart was able to go, oh, I want that. I've been hearing that differently my whole life and didn't really know why I should want it. But now that my head saw it clearly in a way that was actually true, my heart now is going happily rejoicing in it. Head matters. Heart matters. Information over here on this side, maybe. I've given up on trying to write nice tonight. And obedience over here, maybe. Let's pretend that's the word obedience. God, I believe that you love the world. God, I receive your love. Objective, subjective. I don't know if you've heard about this whole idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth. I happen to believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. Like, that actually exists. That's real. That's not an opinion. That's not a worldview. That's not a power struggle between the classes. This is an actual thing. It's right here. It's real. Okay? And I believe that there's moral truth that's just as true and just as real in all cultures, in all times, and in all places. I actually believe in truth. And I believe your word, God, is truth. And that if I'm going to have any hope of being rightly oriented to reality, then believing that there is such a thing as truth is kind of important. It's how I got saved, guys. My cousin said to me, do you believe there's such a thing as truth? And I said, oh, man. It sure feels like it. 
It sure seems like it. I see beauty, and it seems like beauty's real. I see flowers. I see relationships. I see love. I hear music. This feels like it matters. If it doesn't matter, if there's really no meaning, because when you say the word truth, you really mean the word meaning too. If there's no real truth, it means meaning is just invented by human cultures. When you're dead, you're dead. When your memory's gone, then your memory's gone too. You're just matter, molecules in motion that currently have memory, but one day won't. Tons of people believe that, guys. I don't. I believe we're more than matter. And I believe that existence is more than just matter. I actually believe history's headed somewhere. And because I believe that, I think truth matters. We know this, right? Beliefs have consequences. Sometimes beliefs have crazy consequences we didn't know. Crazy consequences we didn't know. But there is a difference between beliefs and faith. Huge difference between beliefs and faith. A huge different between, difference between beliefs and faith. Leonard Sweet says, to have faith is not to believe in beliefs. Do you understand what it is to believe in beliefs? How many times did Jesus say to somebody when he healed them, your faith has healed you? Do you then take from that, oh my word, I have to start getting certain about my faith so that I can, if I just believe, then I can be healed. Believe what? That I'm going to be healed? So you're putting your faith in the idea that faith is powerful. You're putting your belief in a belief. Lots of people on this side of the thing believe that they are righteous with God by believing the right thing. I am as righteous as my beliefs line up with my Bible. That's why I think they get so angry at someone who teaches something different than them. I am righteous if I believe the right thing because their faith is actually in faith. Len Sweet says, no, 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 that's not faith. Faith is believing in Jesus. To be alive, to be live, to believe is to be live in relationship with Jesus. That's faith. So our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in Jesus. But our faith in Jesus has content. It has specific promises. It has specific things he said to us. It has specific, if you trust me, your sins were forgiven. If you trust me, your diseases will be healed. If you trust me, the demons will obey you. But it's it's just really interesting, isn't it, how knowledge of the book of God, apart from knowledge of the God of the book, can lead us into a place where we're actually trying to apply the doctrine like it's a system, like it's a bunch of principles. Belief in belief instead of belief in Jesus. Walking with the living Jesus, living presence of Jesus, living faith of Abraham. How are we tracking? 
So, so there are some denominations, and I, I don't know if I should name them or not because I don't feel like throwing anybody under the bus tonight, but I have friends and I have people I respect. They're in specific denominations. There's one denomination I'm thinking of that requires almost, I think it requires all their pastors to have a PhD. And they have a, a beautiful, brilliant catechism. Do you all know what a catechism is? A catechism is a series of questions and answers designed to be memorized so that by the time you've memorized all the questions and the answers, you understand really good biblical, Christian, gospel, Christ-centered, sound doctrine. There's a beautiful one called the Heidelberg Catechism that I love. So that, that denomination I'm thinking of places a high premium on knowing the book of God. I have other friends. You would see less people in their parking lot walking into church with a Bible. Now, this back in the day, this worked. Nowadays, people have the app, so you can't tell. But, but in, 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 in the denom- this first denomination, everyone had a Bible back in the day. In the second denomination, the focus was speaking in tongues and getting the Holy Spirit to move. And less people would, would necessarily bring a Bible. Church is over in an hour, by the way. Church could go three hours over here, especially if it started to work. In this one, it works every time because you talk about the truth of the Bible and that's the goal and, that's, and we got the learning done and that was the thing. In this one, we needed God to come and move and we needed to feel something and the best thing ever would be if, if none of us could stand up. It's like if we got out in an hour, something broke down, it didn't work. But surely there's a way, and I'm just repeating myself now, but surely there's a way that the richness of this group and the richness of this group without the weaknesses of this one and the weaknesses of this one could be partnered together. You know what? I've said this for so many years. I think what it would take is humility for us over here who are so sure that we're righteous because we think we're right to realize knowing the truth doesn't mean you've lived the truth or believed the truth. And this over here to know that I had an encounter with Jesus, but that's not the end of the matter. That's supposed to be the beginning. You know what I think about these encounters? These encounters make us accountable. Every encounter you have with Jesus is supposed to make you accountable to live out this, the thing he put in you. One day Jesus said to me, have you given away everything I poured into you? And I was like, What? He said, can you honestly say that you've given away everything I've poured into you and and taught you? And I was like, no. And he's like, then get to it. I had a friend. He didn't have encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter. He doesn't have a life of like weeping every day and filling with the spirit every day to where he can't move. He was in a place one time where someone said, I see shame and I see hurt and I see pain down in your belly from stuff, from sins you committed that have changed how you see you. And now you don't like you. And you need to let all that go. And the person said to him, in Jesus' name, come up and come out. Commanded the hurt, commanded the shame to come up and come out. And it went. My friend said, I felt it come up. I felt it go. It felt 50 pounds lighter. That man... That man had one encounter, one encounter. He flew like a a kite for five years. 
He stayed faithful from what he learned in that encounter about the Father, about the gospel, about his identity, his sonship. He stayed faithful for like 15 years on the strength of that one encounter. And I got other friends that if they don't get a fresh encounter every few months, their obedience suffers hardcore. They start to go back into clicking on the, on the porn online. They stop being as committed. They start, stop, start being undisciplined because they're only doing as well as they're feeling. And I'm like, guys, ah, guys, come on. I, I am so charismatic, but I love doctrine. I'm not near as charismatic as I'm supposed to be. Do you know what I mean by charismatic? I mean filled with the Spirit and open to the move of God, hear His voice, uh, full-hearted. I also love doctrine, but I'm not near as committed to feeding myself the Bible and memorizing the Bible and understanding the Bible as I'm called to be. You know what I mean by doctrine? I mean like sound, rich, Christ-centered, Bible-based teaching on who is God. How has he called us to live? How can we live? How has he privileged us to live? I've probably talked too much. All right, stories. Talk to me, guys. Do you see this working out in, in, in your life? It, it, am I on to something here? Have you seen the pitfalls? Have you walked through the pitfalls? You can be, we can be legalistic toward ourselves on both sides, can't we? Oh, I didn't feel anything today. Shame on me. Oh, I didn't read enough Bible today. Shame on me. Help us, Lord. We need grace. We need to settle in. And head isn't bad. I think we need to redeem. I feel I'm probably lean a little bit more this side. I'm not sure. But I think we need to redeem doctrine in, in the charismatic movement. We need to redeem teaching. We need to redeem Bible. We need to reappreciate the richness. It's like God's given us this incredible wisdom that can keep us from screwing up our lives, terribly screwing up our lives. We, we kind of had the thought, as long as we just have more encounters with God, we won't screw up our lives. And I'm like, no, that's not true. The heart works a certain way. The world works a certain way. It's like wisdom. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. I almost made a video about this the other day. I just ran out of hours in the day. Proverbs chapter 8 ends with, somebody want to grab it for me? Just the very last chunk of Proverbs chapter 8. If you grab it, I'll read it. Oh, no. Okay, let's see. Why is yours different than mine? Oh, no, here we are. Listen to my instruction. This is wisdom talking. This is wisdom talking. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever, Proverbs 8.35, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Now, now listen to 1 John. He who has the Son has 
life. What does that say? Whoever finds me finds life. Whoever hates me loves death. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Where do you think John got his conviction that whoever finds Jesus finds life and whoever hates Jesus has death? Proverbs 8. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God, which Paul says that Christ is the wisdom and righteousness of God and the peace of God. Like, these guys were digging in. These were charismatics. These are Holy Spirit-filled people, and they were digging in their Bible, and they were going, okay. And so when you you take all the wisdom of the Bible and you, and you, you show it in a person who's lived out this ideal life, they all go, yeah, that's Jesus. He's actually lived out every single bit of the wisdom of this Bible. So he'll never lead you astray, and he'll never violate the Bible, and the spirit he pours out on you will never contradict what the spirit did in his life or in his book. So how are we going to know all this stuff we're experiencing that we're claiming God said is really God if we don't know his book? You hear what I'm saying? I have friends, they say, they say stuff to me, God told me this and God told me that, and I don't, I don't always believe them because it sometimes violates what I know the book said about how God wants relationships to be run. Right? And, and I'm not immune either. I've made mistakes on this stuff where I've said, this is where the Holy Spirit's leading us, guys. And I fudged on some details. Good thing the Lord doesn't go, then I'm done with you, boy. He's very gracious and patient. Okay, anyone else have anything to, to share on this? Have you seen it? Stan, you've seen it where, which one, did, which, if you could say the do two ditches, which ditch did you see in your, in your movement people falling into more of? So neglecting the Bible to go after the encounter. I would say in my, in my tradition, it's the opposite. Yeah, we're te- and we, were, we were terrified that something would be done out of order. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That one lady, during the singing time, she started to sing in tongues. And it just, nobody stopped her, but everyone clenched their little stomach muscles and butts. I went to a church that picked her up and that's supposed to be a little funny because it's true. You know what I'm talking about. We all go, oh, is it happening? <laughs> Say it again. I went to a church where they picked the girl up and took her out of the service. <laughs> That's going to hurt her. That's going to mess her up. And the pride thing. Uh, well, first, my first thought when I, when I was processing it this way was, oh, these people have pride. But then I realized, oh, my word, no, no, no. These people have pride too. The way that my, me and my charismatic friends talk about un... Uh, believers who are not spirit-filled, who are against the baptism of the spirit, is, is just as mean and judgmental and proud as the way these people talk about how those, those people are demonic. Those people are crazy. And it's, it's, and it's those people are blind fools. The tendency, no matter who we are, is pride. And to, and to not just say, oh, I don't think I agree with that person, but to demonize the other person. And I'm going, how am I going to learn? 
Like, okay, I have some Calvinist teachers that, I, that are just like such incredible preachers and teachers. And some of them are charismatic, but most of them are not. And man, I don't want to throw away everything they say about their Bible because it's like, like some of the best stuff I've ever learned about my Heavenly Father. And I'll be honest, some, uh, I've kind of pa- painted these experienced people as not having doctrine. People like Bill Johnson and others, he's not the only one, but some of the, some of the experience-driven people, their knowledge of the Bible has opened my Bible up to me in a way. It's when I started to obey the Holy Spirit and when I started to have the conviction of, you know, Jesus obeyed God. He prayed, he heard God, and he obeyed, and he got God the Father's results. And I said, hey, I can do that too. And when I started to do that, my theology started to change. So I, I'm not, I don't think this description is very perfect. What Jesus said is perfect, but I, my little categories here are fairly imperfect. But there's still something here. There's still something here. Yes, experience. And yes, deep, deep, rich knowledge of the Bible. And not one or the other, both. Both, 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 both. It's not enough to know my Bible. I have to know God. I have to swim in his presence. I have to feel and believe and surrender and obey and walk with the God of this Bible. And it's not enough to just feel and experience and do and learn by those things. I need his guidance. I need his voice. I need his word. I need the the objective truth. He's not going to use me to rewrite the book. He's given me his book. It's so interesting to see how Jesus could, you could say, well, he's the son of God. He wouldn't need his Bible. But he went to synagogue and he prayed and he memorized Bible. And he figured out what his calling was as the son of God by reading Isaiah. It looks like Isaiah is one of the main texts where he saw himself. And the first day he ministers, Luke chapter 4, he opens the scroll, no page numbers, no verse numbers. So to find what you're looking for in the scroll, you had to know the scroll. You had to know the content of the scroll so well that you knew where to roll it to, to find. Because there were no, a French dude a couple hundred years ago added the chapter and verse numbers. There were never any page numbers. It's not pages. It's one solid round. So he opens the scroll and finds the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and to, proclaim blind and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of Jubilee. And he rolls up the scroll sets it, and he sits down. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. His relation, if the Son of God found the voice of God in the Word of God, why would we think neglecting the Bible is spiritual? And if the Son of God, through the Word of God, heard the voice of God, why would we think it's enough just to read the book rather than encounter the Father who wrote the book? Right? Or he said at John chapter 5, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys diligently search the scriptures because you think that in the book 
you find life, but you refuse to come to me and find life, and I'm the one the scriptures testify to. It's not enough to read the book. The book is a springboard to encounter the God of the book. So don't just read your book. Talk to the God who wrote it. Right? I think, that, I think I'm done. I'm sweating like a pig. Who has the key? That, that thermostat is, uh, you have to unlock it. And I'm telling you, I wish we had a nest so that somebody with the app could just say, this needs to be this way. So let's pray, okay? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, you had so much insight into the Bible that I bet you your generation was like, how did he get all this? How did you get all this? How did you see all these details? How did you get so much out of those verses? I pray, Holy Spirit, for that same grace to come on this group right here, that our time with you in surrender, in reverence, in obedience, not just reading your book, loving you, God, giving our heart to you, our heads to you, saying we want to think your thoughts after you, we want to read your word out loud, we want to think your thoughts, but then our hearts to you, saying we want to know you, we want to follow you, we want to love you in action and in truth. God, I ask that this, this reality you pointed to that we would not be in error because we know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, but that we would be in the truth because we are the people who read and love the book and the people who love and honor the God of the book. Help us, God. The, the times where we're stuck in pride, open our eyes. It doesn't do us much harm to be rebuked. It does us a lot of good. So Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. We honor you, Jesus. Great teaching, Lord. <laughs> Good job, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think it's got to be frustrating to be Jesus <laughs> and see congregation that has exact on this side of town that has exactly what this other congregation on this side of town needs and vice versa. And you're going... Do you know how often I've tried to get y'all to like cross-pollinate and hang out, but you were just like, I ain't talking to them. <laughs> well, we all have Jesus in common. So what if we could put Jesus forward and some of these other things just for a moment, just a little quieter and calmer so we could sneak in among and have fellowship around this. And then we hear somebody be like, ah, blah, 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 and we just go, I'm not going to get offended. But I'm going to learn this and this and this. Because, like, we do have Jesus in common. Yeah. 